Millhouse Market, located on 3790 New York 13 in Pulaski, New York, is worth the drive every time. Make sure you download their app on the Google Play and Apple App Stores to have everything at your fingertips from homemade breads and desserts to their quinoa bowls, rice bowls, salads, brick oven pizzas, and sandwiches named after the families that helped to settle today's Pulaski. Ingrained in our community and ingrained in our taste buds, the Millhouse Market is such a huge part of our community and they pay it forward by having local products from local businesses in their general store as well as their indoor dining bistro restaurant and that menu changes every single week and the drive up window where you can grab your food and go every tuesday through sunday the millhouse market worth your drive every single time to help the community support the community now more than ever 3790 new york 13 in Pulaski, new york and we appreciate everybody that's gone out there with that being said back inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. It is hour number two, and I can't believe the last day of January of the new year here in 2022. And the person that's here with us for hour number two to carry us home to this morning is someone who's no stranger to the broadcast. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I've known him now for 12 years. Uh, we met back in 2010. And uh, Super Bowl champion, Washington Redskin, Notre Dame fighting Irish alum, and somebody who is an author, who is a public speaker, a motivational speaker. He's worn so many different hats. And as great as he has been and, and as successful as he has been, the humbleness and the fact that he always kind of just talks to me on the phone like I'm talking to a friend that I've known for a long time, uh, that more than anything else means the world to me about Joe Theismann, that we really just talk like two men about a sport that we both love very much. So, yes, he's extremely talented. Yes, he's a Super Bowl champion. Yes, many people know him all over the world, but I know him as a friend. And so that being said, I want to welcome him back onto the broadcast to talk about a lot of things I'm excited about today, Mr. Joe Theismann. Joe, how you doing today? I'm good, Dan. Thank you. How do you follow an introduction like that? I guess I, I'll just sit and listen to you. I think it's, uh, you know, <laughs> but no, it's really always it's always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. What and you know what an incredible two weeks of football we've seen. I mean, you know, if the Super Bowl comes anywhere close to what we've seen over the last two weeks, you, you'd have to say it's been the greatest month of football we've ever seen in the history of the game. Yeah, it has been so amazing. And one of the things in the divisional round that I really have been focusing in on is, you know, you know this, you know, offense and defense, so much is focused on that. And special teams is always like the little brother thrown to the side. In the divisional round, every single game, the Bengals needed the field goal from Evan McPherson. The Rams to stave off the Bucks from trying to repeat with Tom Brady in the championship game, they needed Matt Gay. Then, you know, we we look at, you know, uh, what the Niners needed in Robbie Gould and then Harrison Bucker to force overtime. 3 games end on a field goal at the end of the game and another game goes into overtime because of a field goal. Every single one of the divisional round games came down to the final moments and they all relied on the leg of their kicker. And I feel like that in and of itself is just a true testament to the importance of special teams and to how well put together these playoffs were, that these matchups were pretty even all throughout. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, one other thing, too, is you can't forget that Green Bay got knocked out. I think Green Bay was the proverbial favorite. Uh, to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Everybody sort of talked about that with Aaron and his situation to yet to be resolved. 
But um, San Francisco's special team stepped up there, blocked the field goal, blocked the punt. Difference in the game. Um, and, you know, just having started my career as a punt returner and having been a holder all my life as a, since I was in high school, it's exciting to be a part of the special teams. It's a unit unto itself. Um, a lot of those guys aren't starters, but that's their job. But they are starters as special teamers. So it, it's unfair to say a guy on special teams isn't a starter. They start in their unit, just like offense, just like defense, just like special teams. One of the things I talk about all the time is that little word team, that acronym. Together, everyone achieves more. Yeah. And that's exactly that's exactly what we saw in the playoffs. And like I said, I mean, you had, you know, the divisional rounds, they were all walk-offs. The, you know, the touchdown that Kansas City got in overtime, that was a walk-off. And now you look at these two games and, and the scores of these games, and it's like, wow, is this a precursor to what we're possibly going to see in the Super Bowl? Because both of these teams are quite capable of putting points up. Obviously, Cincinnati has proven that their defense, the most unheralded part of their team, is you know up to the task to handle anybody. I mean, you handle a major running game against the Titans. You handle an air show against Kansas City. So they have to feel like, okay, you bring whatever you want to bring, we're here. So it's fun. And, of course, the Rams... You know, with uh, I think um, OBJ just really has made a world of difference to that football team. A great compliment to Cooper Cup. You know, and 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 that's and that's the thing. Taking a look at this, you know, you brought up the Tennessee Titans and what the Bengals, you know, have been able to do and and how they responded so far and and what they did against the run, what they did against you know Pat Mahomes in the air raid with the Chiefs. When when we go back to Tennessee and we look at Green Bay, like you said, the proverbial favorite, I, I, I spoke about with the new playoff scenario, seven teams on each side, only the number one seed gets a bye, that it's great to go into the next round and not have to play the game, but could it be detrimental? Uh, how do you view it now seeing the fact that both number one seeds, the only teams to sit out the wild card round, lost in the divisional round? It, it, it's it's good to have home field advantage, of course. I'm not going to argue against that. That would be insane. But do you think there is a disadvantage to not playing in the first week of the playoffs? Uh, not really. I, I think most of all, it gives you a chance to get healthy, which is if you have players that are hurt. And that's the big thing is who can stay healthy. You're not only dealing with injuries, but you deal with COVID. And, you know, we had a lot of that occur through the course of the season. And, you know, hopefully it's not going to affect anything that happens in the next couple of weeks going forward. But, yeah, you know, we, we won a world championship. I was part of a world championship where we didn't have a bye. And then we lost a world championship when I had a bye. So, I mean, there's, they're so used to dealing with buys now and time off. I mean, everybody gets a week off. So the coaches really have a formula for what they want to do and how they want to prepare. Now there's going to be another two-week period for them to get ready for another game. But the biggest thing is with all these games, it's a lot of football. I mean, you play 17 games, and then you, you know, you add, you're playing 20 football games, and uh, and plus 21 if you, you know, where we have two teams, and that's a lot of wear and tear on your people. Um, I think the league after this year with 17 games has to step back a little bit. And maybe increase the active roster so that you have people available on the field. I know with a practice squad, you can you know move them up and down uh, at least once without 
having to put them on an active roster or release them outright or put them out on the waiver wire. So, you know, they're, the league has worked very hard to make this whole thing work and the amount of games that, the, you know, the players are playing. You know, you get, you get beat up pretty darn bad during the course of the game. I mean, you look at some of those hits. You look at that shot that Debo Samuel took uh, in that game, and you're going to feel that the next day. But then all of a sudden, six days later, you got to get ready to go play football. So I think that uh, it's it's a credit to the guys to be able to sustain through the course of a 17-game schedule as well as the playoffs as we've seen them. Yeah, you know, and, and, and seeing, like you said, uh, how many games these these uh, gentlemen have to go through in the expansion of it. Week 18, we, we saw a lot of value in that extra game, that 17th regular season game, and, and there were a lot of teams that couldn't rest their starters because there were so many implications in the playoffs because of it and teams still trying to get in. What do you think about Week 18 now that we've seen it for the first time ever? Good, bad, good for the game, bad for the game. How do you view the fact that, you know, expanding the regular season doesn't shorten the postseason going off the point that you just made? And I, I think the way the there's two things, Dan, really. The way the league has scheduled the division rivals at the end of the season is exciting. We saw how important that was. And then also having that extra game, um, you still get the week off at some point in time. And I, I think the fans love it, and the players haven't griped about it much. So if the players are okay with it, then I'm certainly okay with it. That coming here from Super Bowl champion Joe Theismann on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Let's go into these games. The Cincinnati Bengals defeating the Chiefs. Bengals have made it to Super Bowls in 1981 and 1989. Played the Niners in both of them, lost both of them, and were close to having an opportunity for third time's a charm. But the Rams had something to say about it ending their game when they were down 17-7, to scoring 13 unanswered points to send Matt Stafford to his first-ever Super Bowl in a season where he won his first-ever playoff game. The most unlikely of sorts, Super Bowl Cincinnati versus L.A. for the Rams. What can you say about these games we saw in the championship round and the two teams that have emerged to represent this country and this league? Well, you know, I would say that, first of all, that, uh, you know, you, you take your hat off to the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, looking at what they were the last couple of years. But it also explains to you the value of a quarterback. You yeah. know, I think you look at the Cincinnati Bengals and you say, where were they without Joe Burrow? Where are they with him now? Um, Matthew Stafford was brought to the Rams for this specific reason, actually not just to get to the Super Bowl, but to win the Super Bowl. That's why the deal was made. Now, the Rams don't have a number one pick until 2024. Not that they're going to need them because they've got, you know, a fairly young football team. But, you know, those guys were in positions. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes' performance, whoever came out after to start the second half for Kansas City did not look like Patrick Holmes. He looked tentative, and I couldn't. I watched that game, and I watched him throw the ball, and I, I just thought, who, who is this guy? He's not, he's not the Pat Holmes we're used to. Um, he ran around a lot, put, you know, put the kicker in some precarious situations, um, you know, didn't get the ball out of his hands in a timely fashion, which he normally does. And, and I just, you know, the decisions weren't there. So, you know, he really, it was a tough go for him all the way around. And of course, you know, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill rides that train down in Tennessee, you know, Derrick Henry really wasn't Derrick Henry. You know, he was sort of a, a guy trying to come back and play then, but, there's so many different instances in these games. And then, of course, 
you know, with San Francisco, they wanted a street fight and the Rams accommodated them. A lot of times, you know, San Francisco is a tough, extremely well-coached football team. And they had a chance, they had a chance to put it away. It's just, you know, it's, it's the way the game is. Sometimes you, you get an interception that's just floating into your hands and you drop it. Yeah. Cause that's going to be, the, that's going to be the game right there. I mean, the Rams, you know, they're taking their shot and it was, the throw was in the middle of the football field. And, you know, it's almost like kicking a field goal between two uprights. You had the Rams on the outside and the Niner in the middle. And uh, the ball got away from him. So, you know, and for Jalen Ramsey on the other side, even though he had one hit him in the chest, it, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Yeah, you know, and, and, and there was so many. We were talking about it off the air. Speaking here with Super Bowl champion Joe Theismann on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, that Cincinnati... I was watching that game thinking to myself, are they going to kick themselves? Are they, you know, look at this opportunity to potential fumble recovery. You know, here's a sack that they could have had and whatnot. And the same thing for the Rams that, you know, there were mistakes. Not only did these teams make it to the Super Bowl, but they overcame late game mistakes that could have cost them literally everything. Just what you could say about that. I mean, in both games, there were opportunities that were botched by the defenses that could have closed the games out a lot sooner. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, and the thing that people won't talk about it because we like to talk about Kyler Murray as a guy that runs around a lot. But you look at the uh, two scrambles that Joe Burrow made for first downs. Actually, three were so critical in that game. Uh, critical for field position, critical for points, critical for drives. I mean, he, how he escaped some of that stuff was just amazing. But but that's the composure that this young guy has. He's very, you know, extremely impressive, I guess you could say. You know, and, and from a quarterback to a quarterback, looking at Joe Burrow, uh, statistically, he spent two seasons in the NFL, and in his first one, 65 per, 65.3% completion percentage, did get hurt. He was under 3,000 yards passing, had 13 touchdowns and five interceptions as a rookie. And then this year, we see 34 touchdowns to 14 interceptions in the regular season, over 4,600 yards and 70.4% completion percentage. He came into the NFL as the number one pick, came into the NFL after winning the college football playoff national championship with LSU. And now in his second season in the NFL, he's going to the Super Bowl. What is Joe Burrow showing you? You know what it takes to be a quarterback. You know what it takes to win a Super Bowl. What do you see out of Joe Burrow? I just I see composure. I see athleticism. I think one of the things you really have to be able to do is throw the football at this level. And he's extremely accurate, which is, you know, I have evidence of his 70 percent completion percentage this year. But I think his toughness, I think he has a, a quiet calm about him that that permeates through the entire football team. I think Zach's the same way as head coach. You know, it's, it's a perfect marriage from personalities as far as I'm concerned. You got a head coach that really it looks it looks like on the sidelines like he's enjoying what's going on no matter what's going on, and you've got a quarterback that everybody believes and trusts in, and that that's the big thing is when you sit on the bench and you're on the sidelines and your teammates look at you, are you the guy that can get it done for them? Are you the guy that can make that play? And you can't talk about it; you have to go do it. That's exactly what Joe has done. Yeah, you know, and and for you to see him do it so quickly uh, what do you attribute that to I mean do you put it on on the coaching staff and, and their ability to help him mature is it more on on his leadership that he's he's had himself I mean when you look at who Joe Burrow is 
what do you attribute to maybe being the ingredients to success to why not only is he where he is right now, but that he did it so quickly? I think it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, you, you can't get it done without a system. You can't get it done without coaches and you can't get it done without the individual that you are. So in his instance, I think it's all three. And you talked about Pat Mahomes and the fact that he didn't look like himself in the second half of the game against the Bengals. When you see what Pat has been able to do in the late game heroics he had, let's go back to that that game against the Bills. <laughs> and first and foremost, like, and, and again, you know, people want to talk about offense and, and this, that, and whatever. But I look at the Bills defense and say 13 seconds should not be enough time. Uh, those final 13 seconds that we saw to force overtime, your take on the Bills-Chiefs game and then your take on Pat Mahomes and if you've seen anybody in recent history in the NFL be as poised and as calm as he is besides maybe a Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, I think, you know, Joe Burrow. I think you saw Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford be as calm as Patrick is. Patrick plays with a different style. Both of those guys work basically out of the pocket. Patrick uh, works out of the pocket, but he also moves around quite a bit. And, you know, I think when I look at that Buffalo-Kansas City game, the one thing that jumps out at me is how valuable timeouts are. Yeah. I mean, Kansas City doesn't stand a chance in that game if they have no timeouts or they have one timeout because the clock's going to run out. Uh, also, the, the slightest decision, once again, here, here's a special teams play. There's 13 seconds to go, and you kick the ball in the end zone so no time runs off the clock if you're the Buffalo Bills. You know, you scratch your head. You know they have the timeouts. You're going to give them the ball to 25-yard line, make them field it, take 13 seconds down to eight. So maybe they get, you know, they get one play, and maybe you, maybe you stop them at the 20 or the 15. Squib kicks are hard to pick up sometimes. And, and, you know, that was, so again, a special teams decision. Not necessarily a play, but a decision, the decision that basically affected the outcome of the game. So, you know, uh, you know, you have, and then you can't, you can't not talk about Josh Allen and what we saw him do through the course of the year in all kinds of weather, under all kinds of conditions. I mean, we're, you know, the NFL will lose. We lost Drew Brees. We, you know, Peyton Manning is retired. We, we saw Drew Brees retire. Tom Brady, I don't think will retire. My personal feeling is I know there's been a lot of reports, but Tom hasn't confirmed anything. Yeah. You know, these guys will, these guys will ride off into the sunset. And here come the young guns. Here comes Joe Burrow. Here comes uh, Josh Allen. You know, here comes uh, you know Matthew Stafford, who's sort of the senior member of the young guns, I guess you could say. Uh, and you look at you know you look at these young quarterbacks, and you think to yourself, man, the NFL is in a good place to get excited about in years going forward. Joe, who, in your opinion, as we talk about all these names, if we look at the upper uh, the upper echelon, tier one of the NFL. Who are the tier one quarterbacks in your mind? I know we've we've named a bunch. I have a list here myself, but who would you say is the upper echelon in the NFL? I think we've seen it. You know, we've seen it in the playoffs. It, it is Joe Burrow. It is Patrick Mahomes. It is Josh Allen. Um, you know, we've we've seen these guys perform and play. It is Aaron Rodgers. You know, how many years? How many more years is Aaron going to play? I mean, that, that's uh, again a big question as we go forward. Um, but you know we've seen we've seen the value of a quarterback and how important they are to the success of a team. Once, where does Matt Stafford stand in your opinion? I mean, this is a guy who was 
with the Lions doing a tremendous job, but you know things kind of overlooked because they weren't a playoff team, they weren't a successful team, they were changing coaches and whatnot. Where is Matt when you look at the upper upper echelon of the NFL? Where does he stand in your opinion? I, I think when you look at Matthews position on the Rams and Dan you've heard me talk about this time and time again the quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field yeah and so when you look where Matthew Stafford is and Stafford is in the team around him I mean Cooper Cup setting all kinds of records catching the ball touchdowns yards receptions everything um when you have that kind of production out of people around you you have a chance to be successful and that's exactly what we've seen out of Matthew put in the right place at the right time. I asked Tom Brady once, I said, what, what made you great? I said, just off the top of your head, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but what made you great? He said, the right time, the right place, and the right people. And I think that applies to Matthew Stafford this year. And you mentioned Tom Brady, and, and you said something that I agree with wholeheartedly. When I saw that he allegedly had retired, I laughed. I was like, that man is going to be a quarterback for the rest of my life. So <laughs> he's going to be a quarterback. I hope you live longer than a year, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I just, I don't see a world where he's not. And so how do you, you know, speaking here with Joe Theismann on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, why do you believe he's not done and because you said that you said, I don't think he's retiring. I know there's reports out, but I don't think it's going to happen. So what makes you believe that? And how long do you think he'll be around? I, you know, I think one more year if he is going to go. Now, I don't know if he's going to come back or not. I think he might come back one more year. But, you know, Tom's not the kind of guy to make a decision while the playoffs are still going on. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to evaluate their football team. Remember, he went to Tampa Bay for a reason because he felt like they had all the ingredients and just needed, you know, basically him to perform at the level that he can perform at to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And they did. I would, he's not going to all of a sudden ride off into the sunset before the season even ends. He has to sit down. I think he's going to sit down with Bruce Arians. He's going to sit down with Byron Leftwich. Is Byron going to stay or is he going to become a head coach somewhere? You know, who, who on that defensive roster is going to stay? Who on offense is going to stay? Who are one of the best lines in football. Who are the free agents? Can the Tampa Bay Buccaneers afford to keep them? Those are all things that Tom's going to have a conversation about, and I don't believe he's had a chance to do that yet. He's sort of decompressing after the season. It's only been it's only been a week, you know. So it's it's like uh, I think the you know the reports of my my decline are premature. I guess you could say in Tom's case. Yeah, and, and the other one that, that everybody wants to know about, not that he's retiring, but what the deal is again. You know the world of a quarterback, you know the world of an NFL quarterback, and you know how valuable a quarterback is and what a Super Bowl champion quarterback is for a team. Aaron Rodgers' value is very high. We know he's successful. Arguably, he could be successful in any one of the 32 NFL franchises. What do you take from the Packers' situation with him and the fact that Nathaniel Hackett, his offensive coordinator, is now gone and the head coach of the Denver Broncos? Yeah, but Matt LaFleur is still there. And, you know, Matt, Matt and, and Nathaniel work together. So uh, you, you don't really – the offense isn't going to change. It's going to be basically the same. And I think the best place for Aaron to be is Green Bay. You know, he's not a, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And, uh, you know, is he going to be able to take Devontae Adams? With him? I think what they'll do is they'll probably wind up franchising Devontae until they can work out a deal to keep him in, in Green Bay. 
Yeah, I mean, the Green Bay Packers without Aaron Rodgers. Now, Jordan Love is a young guy they, they put their faith in a few years ago, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. Nowhere near him. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a football team that potentially, you know, wins 13 games, 14 games. That could probably cut that number in half with just a transition at the quarterback position. So from my perspective, I think, I think, and, and then if, if you've got, uh, if you have, um, you know, I mean, if Aaron goes someplace else, you know, it's, uh, there's a, there's the learning of a new system. Is there a Devontae Adams where he will go? Can he be in the same kind of a situation that Tom is in to look at a football team and say, you know, I'd like to go there. Maybe, maybe Tom retires and, and Aaron winds up in Tampa Bay. You never know. Yeah, you know, you and it, know. And looking at the carousel, before I let you go here quick with Joe Theismann, uh, looking at the coaching carousel and, and what that could mean, too, for the future of these franchises. Uh, Raiders looking at bringing in Josh McDaniels. The Giants looking at uh, Brian DeBole, who's coming on to the team, as well as the fact that the Denver Broncos, like I said, with Nate Hackett, Chicago Bears, and Matt Eberfluss. Of those that have already been locked up, your thoughts, and then seeing that the Saints, the Jaguars, the Vikings, as well as the the Dolphins and the Texans still have these vacancies. What's your take of of this season's NFL coaching carousel? I, I think you look at um, you know you look at offensive coordinators. It's like it's like the head coaches, the new head coaches that have been the name so far. Most of them are offensive coordinators. So when you get a chance to take a look at exactly what teams want to do, is they want to be more productive on offense. I think they can find conceptually what they're looking for on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively, one of the most important things you want to do is be able to put points on the board. And Jacksonville, what is your, you know, for Trevor Lawrence, uh, number one pick, a guy who's been so successful, barely lost any games in high school and at Clemson, has been a champion numerous times before he came to the NFL. What's your advice to Trevor Lawrence, and what do you think is going on in Jacksonville right now? I think one of the most important things that happened for Trevor is he got through this season healthy. He had a chance to line up in the National Football League and take snaps and look at himself on film. And coaches can look at that and evaluate him and put him in a situation where he has a chance to be successful. Uh, That wasn't the case the way it was set up down there for him before that. And I think it'll be that case now. I, you know, he, he moves well. He's a big guy, has a good arm. You know, I mean, he passes the eye test very, very well. And I think that's one of the things you want to look at is like, you know, like arm strength is important at this level. You have to be able to make certain throws. And uh, he has all that stuff. And it's just a question of what offense they're going to put in him. And like, you know, it goes back to what I said before, Dan. The quarterback position is the most dependent position on the field. And so who's going to be around him in Jacksonville? That's going to be the big question. And the last thing here on 2-2-2022, we're going to see the new Washington nickname and the new logo. Is there anything you can tell us? Have you seen it? Do you know it? Do you have a feeling about it? As we know that this week we're going to see who the Washington team is going to be for the foreseeable future, and we're going to see what it looks like. I I am I have not got any confirmation from anybody, but I think it's going to be the Commanders. I believe that's uh, who we're who we're going to be, which I like. I mean, you know, I would have liked the name to stay, but of course, time moves on and things, circumstances change things. So, as it turns out, uh, I think that's who we're going to be. Um, I'm excited about the logo. I'm glad we've kept the colors, so that we'll be, you know, burgundy and gold. 
which is exciting going forward. And and uh, it's it's going to be a new start for the franchise. It's a new start for the players. They get to create their own legacy going forward. And there's a lot of newness happening in Washington. Uh, coming from Super Bowl champion and Washington Redskins alum, Joe Theismann. Joe, as always, I appreciate it. There's a million other places we can go, and we'll do that at another time here down the road, hopefully soon. But as always, thank you for being a part of the broadcast. And more than anything else, thank you for over a decade of, of friendship and being very humble and, and always making time for me. I, I respect the man that you are more than anything else. I want to thank you for that. Thanks, Dan. It's always good catching up. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.